Well, this morning we have a guest speaker in the way of Sean Martin. He is the Senior Director of Church Relations of Human Coalition. He has 12 years of experience in the pulpit, and he has sat on many boards, ethical boards, navigating the issues of sanctity of life. And so this morning, I want us to give uh, Sean a life point welcome. So let's offer this up to him right now. Sean, Thank you. go for Appreciate it. You, brother. you bet. Thank you. Well, it is a, a true honor to be here with you all, and I thank Pastor George for uh, giving me this opportunity. Uh, what a great privilege it is uh, to come and to worship with you all and to, uh, to be able to share a little bit about Human Coalition, about the work that we do, but more importantly, to dig into the Word uh, with you. If you are visiting today, I'm sorry, you got the guest preacher. And so checking out the church, you get stuck with me, and, and Pastor George is not going uh, to be preaching. But that's okay. You can come back next week and check out him, uh, assuming he's preaching next week. Now, it's VBS, so you might have kids involved. I don't know. But uh, I really do, I don't take it lightly being here. Uh, my background is in the church, been a pastor for a long time. And, uh, and, and I know uh, that, that as a pastor, you, you kind of guard, you protect the pulpit. Uh, and so I don't take it lightly being here. And I just want to say again, thank you to Pastor George. Uh, you, um, Human Coalition is the, is the organization I work for. This is not going to be a commercial for Human Coalition. We're going to talk a little bit about it so you have an idea of what it is, uh, but uh, we'll get to all of that afterwards. You can come out to our table, check out our mobile clinic and, and all of those things later. I really want to get into the Word. Before I do, however, I would love to share a little bit about myself. You heard that I'm a, I'm a pastor. That is my background. Left the pastoral ministry formally. I was still an ordained pastor in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, but I came down here to Dallas from Connecticut. I'll talk about a temperature shock. Uh, and I moved down here six years ago to join Human Coalition when I was employee number five. We are today at about 140 or 50 or something like that and continuing to grow. We're technically the largest pro-life organization in the country that no one's ever heard of, but that's okay. Um, we're young, we're new, and we're growing. They'll hear about us soon enough. We like being under the radar. Uh, my wife and I have been married for over 20 years. We have uh, 11 children. I always love that. I always just pause there just to listen to the air go out of the room. It's so funny. Uh, we have 11 children, nine of them, uh, two biological, nine adopted, uh, all the adopted ones prenatally exposed to drugs and alcohol. Obviously, you can see that with uh, a lot of other uh, needs and issues going on as well. Uh, that picture is so funny. It was a couple years ago, and the dog just came and wouldn't leave us alone, so she ended up in the picture too. And she was wearing the right colors. It was perfect. Uh, my family is fairly unique. We, like I said, we've adopted most of them. This is uh, an issue that, that, I'm, that, that I work in. It's not just an issue. Uh, it is our life. It's what we do. I don't share that to share with you uh, to try to build myself up in any way at all. Uh, there is nothing special about me. I'm a, I'm a broken, sinful man who is striving to be obedient to Christ every day, and uh, I fail often, but I, I get back up. He picks me up, and we move forward. He's just played it out in my life uh, in, a, in a very... Uh, visual way, and he's continuing to work in my life and sanctify me just like he is with all of you. So please don't tell me I'm special. I'm not. I'm a sinful wretch just like you. That's the good news. Um, <laughs> so I uh, want to share a little bit about Human Coalition. Uh, Human Coalition is, as I said, the largest pro-life organization in the country. Uh, we, are, we work with women uh, primarily, who are planning to abort. Now, some of you are getting tense, I imagine. So before I say anything else, I want to I stop. 
Uh, we're going to be talking about abortion today. We're going to be dealing with uh, this subject, and it's not an easy subject. It's certainly not an easy one to talk about anywhere, but it's certainly not, also not an easy one to talk about uh, from the pulpit uh, on a Sunday morning. It is uh, tense. It is sensitive. Uh, but I will say this, it is not political. Uh, that's, that's a lie. It's not political. If you have been touched by abortion, if you have had an abortion, uh, provided uh, money or support for somebody who is having abortion, if you've been uh, a participant in any way, driven, stayed silent, uh, encouraged, pushed for whatever it is, um, and, and you're feeling that tension, especially feeling it right now with this guy standing in front of you talking about it, uh, I, I want you to hear a story, and I want you to hear about grace. Uh, the Apostle Paul, you know who the Apostle Paul was? He wrote most of the letters in the New Testament. An amazing guy, but he grew up uh, as a guy who was kind of reared to be the great teacher of the law of Judaism. Uh, he, he grew up to, to be this great teacher. He, he learned from the best priests in the best school. Uh, he, he was born in the right tribe. He was uh, from the right family, and he was provided the best education available, and he was a zealot. He was zealous for the law. He wanted to protect it and guard it and make sure that those who claimed to be Jews who were following the way, who were born Israelites, he wanted to make sure they were being as faithful as possible. And if they weren't, he would correct them and draw them back in. If any of you have taken the Myers-Briggs, my guess is his J was off the chart in judgment. He was clear about what was right and wrong, and he made sure that everybody knew it. And if you were wrong, uh, he would make sure you were brought back into the fold. And so he went out of his way to make sure this happened. And then this, this thing happened where people started saying the Messiah that the, the Jews were, were waiting for had come. And they were following him, and they were followers of what they called the way, and he would, he would, um, they would, they would uh, say that the, the Messiah was here, and they were no longer waiting, and, and, and they found this great salvation and this hope in him. And of course, Paul, not believing that, had to correct it. And so he went out of his way to try to correct this terrible misunderstanding in his mind. And so he, he pursued these people. He jailed these people. He stood by and held the coats and ordered the killing of Stephen, who was our church's, the church's first martyr. He was zealous to return them to the fold. And then one day, while he was riding along to go find some more, to arrest some more, uh, he met Jesus. And Jesus asked him, why are you persecuting me? And through that process, he eventually came to faith in Christ as his Messiah, as the one he was waiting for, and he became zealous to see all those who used to be followers of, Israel, uh, of Judaism to, to understand that they were, the Messiah did come. And he decided to take that, God, God pushed him to take that message to the world. And so beyond Judaism, to what was called the Gentiles, the, the nations beyond, he was uh, kind of the first missionary as well. And so uh, I share that because this was a guy who did some terrible things. He killed people. He beat people. He abused people. And he did it joyfully. And then he wrote all of these letters after he came to Christ. One of the letters he wrote was a letter to the Romans. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, he's talking about the law and how the law is, uh, is really designed to point out our sin, to show us our sin and make it clear how, how sinful we are so that we can correct our behavior. The law is not bad. It just... It's not designed to save, it's, it's designed to point out your, your flaws, your sin. 
And so where sin abounds, he said, where sin abounds, where you see it so clearly and it's controlling you and you can't break these habits, where sin abounds, he says, grace abounds all the more. Or hyperabounds is the actual word. A professor of mine described it one time as this, um, you had a, a stream or a river of, of sin in your life, and it's a Niagara Falls of grace. Isn't that good? A, sin, a stream of sin that is overwhelmed by a Niagara Falls of grace. If you were one of those folks I was talking about earlier who's been involved, who has participated in some way in an abortion, and you're feeling that guilt and feeling that shame, or you're not sure how to feel, I want you to hear this. Where that sin abounds in your life, grace hyperabounds in your life. Grace overwhelms that sin. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Don't live in that shame any longer. Don't hide anymore. Speak that out. Tell somebody. If you've never told anybody before, tell somebody about that in your life. I know that's scary. I know that's probably terrifying. The last thing you want to do. Pastor George said they're going to have folks praying in the back after the service. Go tell them. Have them pray for you. Why? Because when you hold it inside and you don't tell anybody, Satan has a foothold. He's controlling you. He's, he's telling you how terrible you are. And you're not hearing the words of grace, the words of Jesus telling you, you're my child, you're forgiven. And we, talk, we sang about it, freedom. It's for freedom that you've been set free. Don't live bound in the shackles anymore. Be free. Tell somebody. Accept that grace. Embrace that grace of Jesus. Because in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. If you don't hear anything else I say today, hold on to that. Because that's the most important thing that I'll say today, by far. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. All right. Now, I want to share a little bit about the organization that I work for, and then we'll get back into the Scriptures. Human Coalition, think of us as a, as a pie, a pie with five pieces. Uh, and we work with women, primarily women, uh, who are looking to have an abortion. They're planning to have an abortion. There's a, a lot of pro-life organizations in the country. Most of them are working with women who are, who are not sure what they want to do uh, on the fence. Maybe abortion's an option, but they haven't really made a plan yet. They're not making that phone call to the abortion clinic yet. We're, we're looking for the woman who is making that phone call, uh, who has already made the decision, and she is picking up the phone or looking on the internet, and, and we market, we use marketing techniques to reach that woman. So, so just like every uh, company in America, markets, tries to get you to, to be one of their customers, we're basically doing the same thing. We are reaching out to that woman who is looking to have an abortion, and we're trying to get them to call us. And they call, and we have a, a, a contact center, a call center. So the first part of the pie is marketing. The second piece is the contact center. And, and that's right here in our offices. Our offices are actually in, right here in Plano, just a few minutes from here. And they talk to one of our agents. Our agents are trained to deal with this particular client, and that's all they do. And they uh, help these women uh, get into one of our clinics or one of the other pregnancy centers uh, that we work with who wants to see this particular type of client. And so, so that second piece is the contact center. The third piece is the clinic piece. Now, we work with 40-some uh, pregnancy center locations across the country. We own and operate 10 of our own what we call women's care clinics. And they're basically in three 
categories of clinics that we, we operate. We have uh, the, the brick-and-mortar kind of building clinic, like you would think of going to a doctor's office. We operate those in five different cities across the country. We have mobile clinics, which we have one here today. I don't know if it's here yet, but it was on its way. Uh, we have a mobile clinic that you'll be able to see and hear more about how we do that operation there. And then we have uh, what we're dubbing, for lack of a better word, a virtual clinic across the state of Texas. Uh, we're pioneering it here, where we are doing... Um, there's a lot of words. We have, a, we have three lawyers on staff. They control what we say. I'm not allowed to say telemedicine. I'm not allowed to say teledoc. I'm not allowed to... There's a lot of things I'm not allowed to say, but it's that idea where somebody can get on the computer or on the phone and they can video chat or call in or, or chat online um, with a trained uh, professional who helps them through the process. Um, so those are kind of our three kind of clinics that we own and operate. And then... Once we get the woman through the crisis, uh, we don't want to leave her. We don't want to stop caring for her. We want to uh, care for her long-term. We don't have the capacity to do that. And that long-term care really belongs here in the context of the local church. And so we partner with churches like LifePoint where we train mentors in that church to come alongside the women that we serve and their families and mentor them long-term. We'll meet their immediate needs. We'll help them through that process. But long-term, we want them to be matched with a mentor from a local church where they can be discipled, cared for, eventually brought into the community of faith and loved for the long haul. Because ultimately, we are not the answer. We're not the solution. Jesus is the solution. And so they need to be in a context where they're going to continuously hear about the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ and be discipled in the faith so that they can grow up. And God forbid, they don't ever end up in that situation again. But if they do, but if they do, they have a community of faith now around them who's going to tell them a different story, a different message than they had the last time they were in that position. We believe, we absolutely believe Human Coalition and all these other great organizations are not going to end abortion in America. The Church of Jesus Christ will end abortion in America. Abortion in America will end when the church decides it ends. It will absolutely do that. This is the institution God wants to use to do it. The last section of that pie, the fifth piece, is the church. That's the division that I lead. And so I work with churches all the time. I work with other organizations. I work. It's the, it's the piece of the pie that we believe is the culture change piece. That's how we view it. And so how do we change culture? Primarily, we do it through the church. And so we, we teach and speak and train at churches all the time. We are, we are about to launch. Actually, tomorrow we are launching a test on our uh, online academy where you can go online and get training and certifications. Uh, we're testing that uh, starting tomorrow, so that'll be available in a few weeks. And then uh, working with seminaries, we're doing some training on campuses of seminaries to train the next generation of pastors. Uh, we're doing all kinds of things like that in this church division, and, uh, and if you want to know more, I can tell you all about it later. So that's, that's human coalition. Within the organization, we have several passages of Scripture that we've memorized, that we've committed to memory, uh, or in some cases, we're, you know, some, some are working on committing them to memory. Our kind of key bedrock passage that, that we latched onto early is Proverbs 24, 10 to 12. Proverbs 24, 10 to 12 is a passage that, um, uh, that strikes at the very heart of what we do. Uh, it is not a passage that is, um, that is specifically talking about abortion. But as we read it, you'll, you'll see. If you have your Bibles, we encourage you to open it to Proverbs 24, uh, verses 10 through 12. I'm sure you'll see it on your screen as well. It says this, if you faint in the day of Adversity. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Deliver those who are being drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling 
towards slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? It's Proverbs 24, 10 to 12. There's, there's commands and a warning in that passage. Commands and a warning. I want you to get a picture for some of these words. Uh, there's two things we're commanded to do, to do, to deliver and to hold back. Now, delivering literally means like, a, like the mail. You're delivering, like taking from one place to another place. That, that's all that word means. So we're, we're to deliver. We're to take something from one place and take it to a different place. And then hold back is literally, it's again, just exactly what it sounds like. Hold back. Don't let it go where it's headed. You hold it back. So we're called to deliver and to hold back. So take something from one place to another or keep something from going where it's heading. Now who? Who is it that we're to deliver and hold back? Deliver those who are being drawn toward death. Now, any, any farmers out here? Anybody have experience on a farm? We're in the suburbs. I live on a farm way up north, um, and we have animals. And this word is kind of an agrarian. You get the agrarian image. So you, you, drawn literally means like, like you're trying to move an animal from one place to another. So deliver those who are being drawn toward death, carried, pulled, pushed, drawn toward death. They don't want to go. Uh, this is funny. I, my, my daughter, uh, she's nine years old. She's our youngest, and she has goats. She loves goats, and she always wants to, to leash train them like they're dogs. And, and apparently you can do this. I haven't seen it successfully done, but apparently you can, and she's determined to do it. And I've attempted to do this a few times. We're moving goats from one paddock to another, and they actually have to go through our yard to get from one spot to another spot, and I don't want them to get loose, so I put a, a leash on them, and we try. It's, it's comical to watch you try to lead a, a draw a goat on a leash. Um, I will be the first to admit, I don't have that skill. Yet, when you wrap that leash on them and you start pulling them, my experience is they dig in their feet, their hooves. They, they like lean in and they're not going anywhere. And then, when all else fails, they literally just lay down. It's terrible. But apparently, you can successfully do this. I don't know how or who, but apparently you can. And so my daughter's determined to do it. But that's, that's the image you have here. They're drawing something towards somewhere it doesn't want to go, toward death. Toward death. We're called to deliver, take from one place to another. Those who are being taken to the place to die. Reverse that course. Get them away from there. That's what we're called to do. Deliver away from those who are being drawn, taken to death. And those stumbling Towards slaughter, hold back those stumbling towards slaughter. Anybody ever trip and you're and you're falling and you're, like the air, you're walking in the parking lot or something and you, and you trip and you're you're going and your head and shoulders are so far out in front of you, you know you're going to fall, but your feet are running as fast as you possibly can to hold yourself up and you know you're going to crash and you can't do anything to stop it. And anybody ever do that? What? Seriously? Not a single hand goes up. There, yeah, now you're going to fess up to it. Okay, let me give you a different image. So, so I'm a Martin. I'm one of six boys in my family. Six boys. We played football growing up, and there were two, two helmets. There were only two sizes of helmets on, on, on our high school. There was a, a red dot and a green dot, okay? And, and the red dot was the smaller helmet. The green dot was the bigger helmet. And there's a joke in our family because we have literally have one, one red dot in our family. The rest of us are green dots. We got these giant heads. When you're born with a big head, it's problematic, not just for the mother. Sorry, moms. But, but it's problematic 
when you're learning to walk. When you weigh like 20 pounds and five of it's in your head, that is hard. That is hard. And so you, you start like, and you, you know what I'm talking about now, right? Everybody's, yeah, everybody's laughing. Yeah, I've seen that. I know about that. I had never tripped though. No, I'm not going to own that. Y'all need to repent. So, so these little kids, when they're, when they're stumbling and their head's going and, and we're always going right behind them, grab them, you know, grab them by the collar and pull them back up. When they're going to fall and hit their head on the coffee table and split their head, oh, you hold them back. When those are stumbling, that, that's the image we're talking about, stumbling. They're out of control. They're falling. They can't stop themselves. Life is crazy. Whatever is causing it, they're losing control. They have no control. They're stumbling and we're called to hold them back. That's the image. That's the image here. Hold back those stumbling. They're out of control, headed toward the slaughter. Obviously, this can apply to the case of abortion. This is what the church is called to do. We're called to take them away from where they're going, being drawn toward, taken toward, against their will, toward death. And those whose lives are just out of control and they're falling forward and they can't stop themselves, we're called to hold them back. And if you say, surely we did not know this. We didn't know. We didn't know how pervasive it was. We didn't know there's over 3,000 abortions every year within 15 miles of this church right here. We didn't know that there's over 20,000 or just under 20,000 abortions in DFW every year. We didn't know there's over a million abortions in America every year. We didn't know. We didn't know. Well, guess what? Now you know. Now you know the magnitude of the problem. It's that big. Every year, if we say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? We know, and therefore we're responsible to do something. Well, Israel knew. Israel knew so much of what was going on around them. They knew the commands. They knew commands like this. They knew Proverbs like this. They knew the law. They knew it well. And yet they often found themselves wandering away and in some cases intentionally subverting the law. They got comfortable with their affluence, which God warned them in Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 8, not to do. But they got comfortable, especially during peace times. They stopped paying attention and they drifted from the Lord. And so, and so God would have to continuously call them back. You know, this started happening very, very early on. I mean, you talk about the garden, it, it started happening. Well, did God really say that? It continued on, it continues even today. Israel knew it, and so God would often send people or send things, ways, things would happen to try to get their attention and draw them back. One of the ways he would do that would be to call prophets. He would call prophets to go and speak to the leaders of the nation. He would call them to go to kings or go to the temple and speak. And so one day he calls this sheep breeder named Amos. Amos wasn't a professional prophet. He didn't go to a school of prophecy. His dad wasn't a prophet. He wasn't from a family of prophets. He was literally a sheep breeder. Not very exciting. I mean, there were no games on Friday night for the sheep breeders. This is not an exciting life, unless a lion showed up, and then it got real exciting real fast. And you were expected to lay down your life for your sheep. Sound familiar? It was a, 
was a pretty boring life most of the time, though. And God calls him to be a prophet, to go speak on his behalf to the leaders of the nation. He said a lot of things, but in in chapter 5 of Amos, he says this. Imagine your God saying this to you. I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Ouch. Ouch. (laughs) I can't fathom hearing those words from our Father. But that's what He said to His own people. And He said it because Israel had a bad habit of drifting away and then institutionalizing ways of taking advantage of the poor. I mean, you look back before this, and you look in in verse 11 of chapter 5, and it says, Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from them, though you have built houses uh, of hewn stone, you shall not dwell in them. He's Because you treat the poor so terribly, you tread them down, stomp on them. Because you take advantage of, of those who are needy, you afflict the just. This is, this is in verse, verse 12. Uh, because of your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. It goes on and on. All of these things that, that Israel has done They haven't followed after His ways. They haven't done the things He commanded. They haven't provided and cared for the most vulnerable in their society. In fact, they've trampled on them, tread them down, took advantage of them, and didn't care for them in the ways He commanded them to be. Because of these things, because of these things, God rejected their worship. I hate. That's a strong word. I hate. I despise your feast days. The feast days I commanded for you to follow, I hate them. I despise them. I don't want to see them anymore. I don't savor your sacred assemblies that I called you to, but I don't savor them. And I don't want to hear your songs. You sing the great psalms. I don't want to hear them. Take them away from me. I won't listen to them. But let justice roll down like water. Justice. You haven't been providing justice. This is what I want. It's not supposed to be one or the other. You're not supposed to worship and and ignore justice. You're not supposed to do justice and ignore worship. You're supposed to live your life in a way that is fulfilling the commandments of God and to live in in just ways so that you can come and worship me fully, freely. You're supposed to worship me fully and freely and be filled up and grow in your faith and understanding of me so that you're propelled out into the community to provide justice for those who need it. It works both ways. It's got to flow both ways. But if you don't, these are the ringing words of Amos. Can you imagine if God said, I hate, I despise your communions, 
and I don't savor your baptisms. Take away from me the noise of your worship team. I won't listen to the melody of your singing anymore. Can you imagine that? It's stinging. It's painful. And yet, that's what he said to his chosen people that he pulled out of Egypt, established as a nation that bore his name. And do we think he wouldn't rebuke us in a similar way today? I think he will. I think we've seen evidence of that throughout history, and I think we will continue to see evidence. As he wants to get our attention, we don't pay attention. He does something to draw us back to him. I'm not saying he's damning anybody to hell as a result of that. I'm not suggesting your salvation is not secure. I'm saying on a, on a macro level, he'll do things to get our attention, to draw us back to him, including some punishment at times. Why would it happen to us? Well, I mentioned some of the numbers earlier, a million abortions a year in America, over 20,000, around 20,000 in DFW. I think it's about 3,400 within 15 miles of this location. It's happening all around us. These are your classmates, students. These are your friends, your coworkers. These are the people, your neighbors that walk around you. And, and dare I say, it's even some in the church. The numbers suggest about three or four out of ten women who have had abortions claim to be attending church at least monthly at the time of their first abortion. It's happening in our churches. But very few churches talk about this. Uh, the fact that this church is willing to is, is incredible and encouraging. But the truth is very few do. Very few churches know what to do with a woman who says, I've had an abortion. They don't know where to send them. They don't know how to help them. They don't know how to, how to get them into a place of, of healing and hope. This church does. Most churches don't understand how our, our voting convictions can influence elections. A lot, of, a lot of churches are afraid to talk about politics, but we're allowed to talk about a lot. <clears throat> um, and so voting our convictions is critical. We can vote around this issue. We can vote around this issue. I'm not advocating for one party or another. Don't hear me when I say that. Don't, don't hear that. I'm saying we can live this out in very practical ways, and we can hold those we vote for. I just wrote an article about this, how we keep reelecting the same people who claim to be pro-life who don't actually do anything. We need to start changing that. We need to start doing things differently. Most churches just don't protect life. They're not committed to protecting life. And many will say, but it's, it's really a complicated issue. Let, let me ask you a couple questions. First issue, what is that thing that's in the womb? What is it? Talk to me. It's a baby, and a baby is human, right? From the moment of conception, its own DNA, its distinct human being, there's nothing different about it. When is it okay to kill an innocent human being? Never. It's not a complicated issue. We've bought lies that, that have told us it's complicated. There's a lot of factors that go in. No, no. It's actually simple. There are other factors that revolve around it, things we have to do around it, but the issue is very, very, very simple. And don't ever, don't ever let anyone tell you that lie or buy that lie that it's complicated. It's not. Now, we do have to care for mothers. We do have to care for families. We have to provide for them, meet their needs so that they feel safe, so they feel comfortable to be able to, to carry that child to term, to be able to, to raise that child, uh, to be able to, to provide for her, him or her and, and, and the rest of their children. Most of the women that we deal with are already mothers. Most of them are unwed. These are single moms who are now in a subsequent pregnancy who don't know what to do. We, 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 and I say we, we're the church, 
needs to be the answer to that question. The church needs to be the answer to that question. That's, that's one of the reasons we're here. And that's one of the greatest ways to share the gospel is showing them the love of Christ so that you have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And so uh, that is, we have to meet all, there's myriad needs. I mean, there's relational needs, counseling needs, there's substance abuse needs, there's housing needs, financial needs, there's, there's abundant needs, but, but that's, that's what the church should be doing, right? That's what this church does in so many ways, and we need to specifically gear some things toward these women. That's, as I mentioned earlier, the continuum of care that we operate. That's what it is. That's what we do. And so, um, and so we partner with churches. We, we bring in mentors. We train them. And then we match uh, these women and their families with these mentors. And so I would encourage you, uh, we have a booth out front, stop by and learn a little bit more about how you can be involved. It's not just mentors. There's a lot of ways you can be involved. But you can stop at the table and hear about that. Through that mentorship program, these women are given hope. Hope. We're in the year of hope. That was our year last year. We focused on hope last year. Y'all have the opportunity to offer these women who, who see no hope an incredibly bright future and a hope. You have that opportunity to share with them. In, in, uh, I don't know if you've looked at this passage yet, but in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, it, it is a great passage about hope where we are encouraged uh, in verse 23 and following, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let, us not, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. Sorry, I was trying to avoid taking that drink. <clears throat> but um, hope. Now, what is that hope? What is that hope? That hope is not an idea. That hope is not a, a support group. That hope is not a small group. That hope is not counseling. That hope is not any of those things. That hope is Jesus Christ. That's the hope we're talking about here. It's not something that we've done. It's something that He did. It's not something we can do. It's something He's already taken care of for us. That's the hope that we have in Christ. It's all about Jesus. Our hope is Jesus. And so because of what He did, we can have hope. Because of what He did, we have hope. Because of what He did, we hold fast to that hope. We hang on to it because we know that we can never do enough of our own. We can never do it on our own. We can never be good enough, smart enough, or, or worship enough. To, so we hold fast to that hope. We hold fast to Him. That's what this passage is saying. We hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. You can look around at the world, and the world's going to tell you there's all kinds of other things that can bring you hope, but there's only one that brings you the ultimate hope, the eternal hope, and that's Jesus Christ. So we hold fast without wavering because of what He did. Because of what Jesus did, we then stir up one another toward love and good works, good deeds. We encourage one another to do uh, what, what God has commanded us to do, like providing justice and meeting needs and doing all of these things, caring for these women who so desperately need the gospel. And the church is here to meet that need. Because of what Christ did, we then offer that hope to them. Because of what Christ did, we meet these women where they are. We offer that hope. We connect them to the church. We in turn direct them to the one who is all of our hope. That's the process that we go through as we work with churches because of what Christ did. 
because of what Christ did, because of who Christ is. That's why we do what we do. And so I I just want to encourage you again. If you've been in that position, if you've been in that position where you have been a part of an abortion, hear these words. That hope is for you. Don't, Don't hide in the shadows anymore. End the shame. Come out and confess it and find that healing and hope. I promise you the blood of Jesus Christ is, 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 is sufficient to cover your sin as well. I promise you it is. He will never let you down. We will all let you down. We may at sometimes be judgmental fools, but Jesus Christ will never do that. And I promise you, if you can go back there today and you share your story with your pastors, they will not let you down today. They're going to lavish you with grace. It's safe to come out and to share the shame and the sorrow and find healing and hope. And that's not just for those who've had abortions. That's for any of us. I mean, it's for any of us who have, who have never uh, shared the, the depths of our own depravity or, or, or we're holding on to something. And it's especially true for those of you who have never accepted Christ as your Savior. Today can be that day for you as well. I'm going to give you an opportunity even now to do that, but, but feel free to come up and talk to me or talk to the pastors as well afterwards. This hope is for everyone. This hope is for you. Don't let today go by without embracing that hope that's only found in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me, please? And if you are one of those folks uh, who has never accepted Christ, you can do so easily, simply, by just confessing that you are sinful, that you have fallen short of His glory, that you have not lived this perfect life. And you can simply say, Jesus, I receive that grace. And Jesus, I ask that you would come into my life and lead me and direct me and guide me in all that I do from this point forward so that I can live my life in a way that honors and glorifies you. If you've prayed that prayer today, I would... I would ask you to take that connection card that Pastor George mentioned earlier, put a little A in the corner. LifePoint wants to send you a book uh, to help you on this new journey. I would encourage you to do that uh, so that you can get that book, so you can be spurred on. But don't, again, don't leave today without telling somebody that you've made that step. And don't leave today without finding that grace, embracing that grace, that hope that we all have in Jesus Christ. I ask you to pray with me one more time. Oh, Father, we are grateful for the love that we have in Jesus. We are grateful that you have told us over and over again that there is not a sin in the world that your your cross, your grace, the blood of Jesus does not cover. And so, Father, I ask that you would lavish us even now with that grace. Every one of us, we're all carrying burdens here. Every one of us, but particularly those who are walking in that shame, that pain of abortion. And, Father, I ask that you would lavish wash over them that Niagara Falls of grace, that they would know without a doubt that in Jesus Christ they are forgiven. Lord, we thank you for that grace. We praise you for that grace. And we lay down our lives before you, each one of us asking that you would lead us and guide us in all that we do, that we would honor and glorify you each day of our lives. We thank you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.